0: the great TV podcast is brought to you by Scott Evest. Great clothing plus tons of pockets for your stuff. That's Scott Evest. To learn more and get a super special Scott Evest deal, go to jimharreld.com vest. That's jimharreld.com slash vest. Click on the link I provide there and use the coupon code Jim Harold, and you'll get 20% off your purchase. Thanks, Scott Evest.
1: Don't touch that dial. You've tuned in to The Great TV Podcast with Jim Harold. Whether they're current or classic, let's talk about the best shows ever made.
0: Welcome to The Great TV Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And we have a really fun show today. The actor and actress we are going to interview well. They're very well known. And we're going to talk to William Daniels. And he is maybe better known as the voice of Kit. But that's only one small thing he did on Knight Rider. He was also Dr. Mark Craig on St. Elsewhere, and he won an Emmy for that. He's also been a star of the stage and productions like 1776. He's been a movie star in movies like The Graduate and uh, really a, a legend. If you think about it, he's kind of done it all. And we kind of have a bonus this week because his wife will be joining us, Bonnie Bartlett. So they'll both be on the line, and I think you will enjoy this. And it was great catching up with William and Bonnie. And before we get started, you know, we retooled the show, uh, gave it a new name. So if you'd be ever so kind, uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, just look up The Great TV Podcast and subscribe. That helps us immensely and gets the word out. We wanted to broaden the show a little bit and also include maybe some more recent day shows. So that was the reason for the name change, but it's still the same great content. At least I think it is. And I love catching up with these great stars and talking to them about their careers yesterday, today, and in the future. And here is both William and Bonnie. And it is a red-letter day because we have really a legend on the line. Our guest today is William Daniels. Now He is a stage at the screen, both movies and TV and also the stage. He's won multiple Emmys for his role as Dr. Mark Craig on the classic TV series St. Elsewhere. He was the voice of Kit on Knight Rider. He starred on Broadway in 1776 and many other plays. He was Dustin Hoffman's father in The Graduate, and he continues working today. Now, he has a new book out about his very eventful life called There I Go Again, and we're so glad to have William Daniels on the line today. William, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, hi, Jim. Glad, glad to be on.
0: So I must say, many people hear that iconic voice, and they're immediately drawn to Dr. Mark Craig or uh, Kit on Knight Rider. I think uh, to the general populace, that's that's maybe how you're best known. But I was just amazed at the breadth and depth uh, of your work. You kind of have done it all.
1: Well, I guess uh, if I hang around long enough, I guess I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Uh, it started out at a very young age, as I understand for you. And your mother, I guess, was kind of the quintessential Stage mother, and I guess it turned out to be a a mixed blessing. It wasn't necessarily an easy childhood, was it? No,
1: no, not really. I don't know. I've had several uh, people characterize it differently, but it was something whereby uh, we were put into uh, show business rather early, my sister Jackie and I, and. I don't know. I had an analyst once say you were abused, but uh, I I can't buy that because I didn't feel that way, but perhaps uh, perhaps it was right. I, I really can't tell. Uh, by the way, I have Bonnie Bartlett, uh, my wife, on the phone with me. She is my um, uh, memory bank.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, Bonnie, welcome. And of course, if anybody ever watched St. Elsewhere, they would know you by your great acting in that same television program and the other roles you've done over over the years. So we're glad to have you on the line as well. Thank you. Thank you. And in uh, getting to that, I think your relationship is just so remarkable. Both of you, both of you have been very successful and you met back in the, in the college days in Northwestern. Is that right? At Northwestern.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah.
0: Uh, it amazes me that your marriage has lasted this long. I mean, you know, better than anybody being in show business, uh, having seen them come and see them go, what do you attribute the longevity of your relationship going for? What, what has made it such a success?
1: Well, I I would say the basis of our long relationship is uh, a mutual respect for each other as as human beings and as as, uh, actors. I'm her biggest fan, and I think maybe she's, I'm her biggest (laughs) fan. Uh, We're uh, honest about our uh, critiques of each other, and uh, they often help in our performances. And it's been that way for a long time, and I'm very happy that it's been that way.
2: And the critiques of each other in life, too. (laughs) Oh, yes. There's a lot of differences, and we have a lot of... You know but we 're so very fond of each other that we get through it <laughs>
0: i've i 've only been married twenty years, and I know we have the I have that give and take with my wife and I think it 's very healthy. I think you have to have somebody you can respect and you, you can be honest with, and I only hope that we can have the the longevity that that you both have well since I have you both on the line, I will ask you about this. You know I read in the book about the scenario with Bonnie coming on scene elsewhere and becoming uh, Mrs. Craig and how that worked out. What was that to, like to work closely together on a, on a project like that? What was that experience like?
1: Well, I found it very pleasurable to have her on the show. First of all, she's a terrific actress. And uh, uh, secondly, we could go to work together sometimes, which is kind of nice. And thirdly, uh, she and I could, uh, oh, I don't know, keep our performances straight. And uh, what That's was that story, Bonnie, about people saying?
2: Oh, no, a lot of people didn't. Most people didn't realize we were married <laughs> on the set. I mean, but, wow. you did, but not people that were on the set often didn't know we were married. And I would have women come over and say, why do you let him talk to you like that? He shouldn't <laughs> talk to you like that. Because you see, you can't. You really can't on a set. You're not supposed to criticize other actors or anything. But, of course, he felt very free to do that with me. <laughs> so he would say things like, shall we take 30 minutes off for Miss Bartlett to learn her lines? Oh, my. And things like that, you know. And it was very funny. It was really, I mean, because I know him so well and because I know how what he does, it's just funny. And I would say, well, about 90% of the time he's right. <laughs> You know about things. I said there's a ten percent. He's not, but about ninety percent of the time, he's right.
0: Well, uh, well, that's a that's a pretty good ratio. Now, William, uh, to talk about your career, I think that again, you know, a lot of people, particularly uh, people middle aged, younger, they may be more familiar with your your work on television, but you really. Cut your teeth in a, in a large way. I know you did radio as a child. You were Armed Forces Radio, but then uh, the stage was a huge part of uh, of what you did. Can you talk about the the role of the stage in in, in honing your craft and and becoming the the actor that you became?
1: Well, yeah, uh, yes, I got involved rather early, but I, I think I started as an assistant stage manager in Life with Father, and then went into one of the roles of the four. Uh, children of uh, of a father uh, Father Day and it was very uh, important for me that uh, I went from stage manager into playing the second oldest son at the same time that Mr. Lindsay and uh, Miss uh, Dorothy Stickney his wife uh, were coming back into the play after taking a year off this is a play that ran nine years on Broadway so they were brushing up, and I was going into my first acting role. So uh, he was a great help and a great influence on me, both in what he had to tell me uh, about acting and about playing a laugh and things like that, and also as uh, without him knowing it, I, I, I saw his demeanor backstage uh, during uh, rehearsals. He was a total gentleman and a total professional. And I I tried to emulate him.
0: Now, uh, in the book, you talk about your preponderance, uh, apparently, to turn down or or turn down roles initially and eventually accept them. And and many of those have been uh, really kind of turning points in the career. And and, and you've talked about one stage play, uh, Edward Albee play that you almost turned down that really you considered maybe your big break
1: well i 'm not the greatest one in judging material i have to uh, I have to announce to you. I have to admit if i 'm uh, offered a, a part i 'll look at it and i 'll see all what I think of the problems in it. you know uh, a lot of actors they get a job and they say, "Oh my God, this is a wonderful thing and you know all i do is say, "How am I supposed to do this or how am I supposed to do that and you know so when the zoo story came along, uh, there was this part of this guy who sits on a bench and doesn't really say very much why the other fellow does all the talking. And I thought, well, that's not, uh, that's not something I'm interested in. Then uh, Bonnie and our dear friend Jerry Friedman uh, talked me into going and reading it for the producers and the playwright. And uh, naturally, uh, I thought, well, I uh, uh, I'll read the big part where, you know, the guy does all the talking. Well, they let me read that for about two minutes, and then they said, would you mind reading the other fellow? I said, you mean the guy on the bench? And she said, yes. And I thought, oh, boy. And I started, and they started laughing, and I thought, damn it, they're going to offer me this job at this park. And uh, so they did. And then Bonnie and, and my friend Jerry Friedman really talked me into it. I was almost inclined to turn it down. Uh, i 'm not the greatest judge of material i 'm afraid, but uh, there it was, and I did it and uh, suddenly, in performance from the very first- per- uh, time I went before an audience, I got such a reaction from the uh, from the, the audience that I realized that this this fellow sitting on the bench the audience sees the whole play through his eyes they They associate with him on the bench, not this strange fellow who was behind him rather threateningly. so uh, I realized that the the part was was indeed important, and so I stuck with it for a long time and i 'm very glad I did.
2: Well, it was also a great play. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: yes, of course it was a great play. Uh, nobody, you know, uh, nobody... When I
2: saw the play, I said, Billy, you didn't tell me. It's just a great play. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> so anyway, that's the way it worked. And uh, I'm, uh, it was, for me, a uh, a role that in New York kind of put me on the map. Everybody uh, saw it. Everybody. You know, yeah, I mean, everybody came. You know, from Lawrence Olivier, right on down. Uh, At any rate, so uh, I'm that's the way it happened, and I'm very thankful that it happened that way.
0: Bonnie, I was going to ask you, have you often found yourself in this position of advocate for a particular piece that maybe William has initially kind of said ex-nay to?
2: Yeah, when, when I read 1776, the final version, before he did, he had read an older version. Anyway, I read it before he did, I said, Billy, I said, this it, it's like this part was written for you. I said, the only thing is, I, I mean, it's got 11 songs. I don't know if you could, because Bill is not a person who sings for pleasure, you know. And I said, it's got 11 songs. I don't know if you can sing it, but you could sure act it. And then he, of course, surprised me that he could sing that part as well as he did. And, and the part, but the part was perfect for him, because Bill is... He's very much like Dr. Craig. He's very much like John Adams in that play. He's very like that. You know, he's very prickly. He's very quick to criticize, quick to judge. And yet there's this whole other side of him, which that's his protection. That's his protection. But there's this whole other side of him, which is amazingly honest and amazingly, I don't know, moral, I guess you'd say it. You know, he just is, he's a really good person, but he just does that little not not so much anymore but when he was younger a lot of anger oh boy a lot
0: of anger <laughs> but but that's something it sounds like you were you were able to channel and uh i mean you you've done so much you've done you've done the stage of course uh you you've done a lot of movies you've been in movies with people like audrey hepburn and dustin hoffman and we'll talk about the graduate in a minute and and television so you've you've done so much what's your favorite medium
1: theater uh because there the audiences and you get a, an immediate reaction uh, you know if it's a comedy and and there are no laughs you know you're not doing something right you know so you you get that feedback from the audience and uh, it's very uh, uh, exciting to be on the stage film and television is a little different because uh, there is no scene audience no present in front of you audience and so you you have to really judge whether what you're doing is uh, worthwhile or right or wrong. Uh, you got to.
2: Well, one of the things that you didn't like about uh, Boy Meets World was that there was an audience, and they, but they're a phony audience.
1: Yes, yes, uh, that the, uh, in these. Um... Shows that have an audience on television that uh, that you do live and there's a, uh, an audience out there. There's a guy who warms them up before the show begins. And uh, the audience uh, being uh, very eager to do whatever is asked of them, uh, he makes it clear that he wants a lot of laughs and uh, get in there and enjoy it and so forth. And that was in a way counterproductive because, uh, you know, you open the door and come in and they laugh and you haven't done anything yet because of the warm up. So uh I had to ignore that part of it. But at any rate, uh it's always good to work in front of an audience so you know what plays, what the reaction is and whether you can get a pretty good idea of whether you're doing a good job or not.
0: It's interesting you said that about the studio audience uh, for television, because I just talked to Ed Asner about two weeks ago, and he was talking about the difference in doing Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore show and having that immediate feedback, of course, one of the Greatest television series of all time. And then, and, and then doing his dramatic show, Lou Grant, and it was not shot in front of a studio audience. So I guess you have to kind of calibrate your, your, your performance. And that's another thing that I've always been curious about the difference in playing to a live audience on the stage where you, you have to project, I assume, more. You have to play larger. You know, if you're doing your stage business, it has to be, a, I would assume, a little more dramatic so people can see it in the back aisle as opposed to film and television, where you're playing small. Is that right?
1: Well, there's some misconception about that. I mean, there's some people, uh, actors who feel that being on television or uh, radio, they can mumble and don't have to project. And, you know, they get kind of listless as far as I'm concerned. And that I uh, know uh, from experience that I don't have to yell to get to the back of the house. What I have to do is enunciate clearly, and that enunciation does carry you. You don't have to yell. You just have to make those uh, words clear, and uh, they will carry, and the audience in the back row will get it. So but it's,
2: it, it's a, bit, a bit higher energy, Bill.
1: Well, yes, there's, there's more energy involved in it. That's true, but uh, that's the way it works. I, uh, it's not yelling. It's... Uh, it's something else altogether it's making clearly
2: clearly but but also that support in other words when mm-hmm. i would go back and do a play and i hadn't done it a while it would take me the whole rehearsal period to find that support mm-hmm. that where you you really know you've got strength mm-hmm. in your gut and if mm-hmm. you have that strength in your gut and enunciate then you will carry
1: yeah and in that sense uh doing john adams in 1776 was really uh, hard work doing eight a week and I did it for so long two years as a matter of fact uh, eight a week that's tough and so you have to get a lot of rest and uh, and then try uh, as best you can to uh, do the show and save something for it uh, before you get there you know you've got to get your rest you got to and then you got to take your preparation I used to go and be there a half hour before they even called half hour just to i don't know get my mind in the in the right place to to do, to make this effort because doing it wasn't 11 bunny it was nine uh, singing songs uh and then there was a lot of uh, you know uh, these guys didn't whisper so you they were in congress and they spoke out so you n- needed a lot of energy to do this part and uh and I was glad I was able to fulfill that.
2: And, 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 you know, because it was a musical, too. Bill said that in a musical, the, the, the music kind of gears you up so that it helps you to get that energy because the music energizes you. hmm
1: Yeah.
0: I'm enjoying this discussion with William and Bonnie, and we'll be back with them after this very important message. The Great TV Podcast is brought to you by Scott Evest. Great clothing plus tons of pockets for your stuff. Well, that's Scott Evest. And to learn more and get a super special Scott E. Vest deal, go to jimherold.com slash vest. That's jimherold.com slash vest. Click on the link I provide there and use the coupon code Jim Harold, and you'll get 20% off your purchase. Now, what if you don't know what Scott E. Vest is? Oh, let me fill you in because I'm literally wearing a Scott E. Vest right now. They have great vests. They have great jackets. They have great clothing for both men and for women. And the idea of it is this. You want something that is stylish, that is well-made, but has a ton of pockets to carry your stuff. You know, if you look back years ago, people didn't have that much stuff. But with technology, things have changed. You have glasses, you have an iPhone, you have a tablet, maybe you have a laptop, a water bottle, your keys, you have all of these things. Where are you going to carry them? And that is the problem that Scott E. Vest has solved. And I love my Scott E. Vests and my coat rack is so full of different Scott E. Vest clothing. Actually, my wife is yelling at me because she needs somewhere to put her stuff. And uh, uh, But I love Scott E. Vest. I'm kind of addicted. I can't stop buying them. They are so great. For example, I'm looking here at some of their top-selling products right now, the RFID Travel Vest for Men. And they have one for women, too, both best-selling. Their Fleece Jacket 8.0, and I have that, and that is a fantastic jacket. I love it. The Sterling Jacket for Women. This is great whether you're just a busy parent, you're a tech enthusiast, a business traveler, business professional, outdoor enthusiast, photographer, whatever it might be. If you're a person who has a lot of stuff and you need to carry it around, there's no more stylish, no better way to do it than Scott E. Vest. One thing I love is going to the airport and you have everything in your Scott E. Vest, whether it's a jacket or a vest. And, you know, before you have to get all this stuff out and put it in the thing. You just take your vest and you throw it on the belt and you're good. (laughs) It is so cool. I love the idea of Scott eVest. And they really have taken a technological look at this. They have what they call bud buckets for your earbuds. They have a wiring system where you can wire your headphones through where they go right through the jacket to your phone. That's your personal area network. They have an eyeglass pocket with a chamois cloth. They really do think about this stuff, and they've engineered it to the nth degree. And the kind of people who enjoy it, well, could I say Matthew McConaughey is a big fan, Steve Wozniak is a big fan, Amy Tan, the famous author, Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead, and Jim Harold, <laughs> kind of the lesser of those. But uh, I think that you will enjoy it. So check it out. Go over to JimHerold.com slash vest and use the promo code Jim Harold J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D. That's one word, no spaces, and you'll get 20% off your purchase. I know you'll love them. Thanks, Scotty Vest. And now we're going to get back to our interview with William Daniels and Bonnie Barth. I do have to ask about... The Graduate. You played Dustin Hoffman's father in it, and I William, and I, I think it's really interesting, uh, a little bit of trivia for the audience. I think you were only about 10 years older than Dustin Hoffman, and Anne Bancroft, who played, of course, the great Mrs. Robinson, I think she was only five years older than Dustin Hoffman. I always thought that was an interesting little bit of uh, trivia, but talk to us a little bit about The Graduate.
1: That was something that uh, the director, the famous uh, Mike Nichols, Did not uh, consider important. Uh, I can remember the producer saying, you know, um, Bill, uh, I love your work, but uh, you're a little young to play Dustin's father. I was actually nine years older than Dustin. Uh, But Mike Nichols said, never mind that, and dismissed that (laughs) remark. Uh, And uh, he he wanted me for this part. He wanted... uh, He wanted Dustin, who he had to really go out on a limb for because Paramount was pushing a rather famous actor, which I will not mention. But uh, he wanted this young man that he saw off-Broadway in New York to do this part. And, of course, he was absolutely right and became, uh, you know, it it made Dustin a star.
0: Uh, a fantastic movie. And, and so you you did movies, you did the stage. And then I know you had done television, obviously, here and there. But really, in the 80s, uh, we came to know you. And, and I think you're probably one of the very few actors that were on in, in much different ways and much different programs two hit series at the same time, both Knight Rider and St. Elsewhere. And I have to ask you about Knight Rider, because I bet you you get a lot of people who hear that voice and they say, your kit, I think that I'm guessing that turned into something very different than you thought it was at the time.
1: Well, yes, it it was because it was before any of these uh, inanimate objects turned into <laughs> uh, acting pieces. So the car was, uh, you know, very strange. Uh, I remember going in, and uh, they, uh, I had worked for the producer, who said, "Would you come in and and read uh, this?" Uh, for me i want to take it to new york to try to sell and i came in and i looked at it and i said this is the voice of a car he said yes i said uh-huh <laughs> okay and i started you know and, and then he wanted me to make it like a robot and i said no no and i continued and he said how about you know like ma bell's voice i said would you please let me read this and I just read it in my own voice, and that's what they used. I knew that uh, I had to stay with my voice in order to act and get, you know, get the various colors that a that a human being would have. Even though it is a car, it it, it worked for it, and it was more expressive than a robot's voice would have been. It
2: became a re- real character.
1: Oh yes, and uh, I was surprised how. Uh, how popular it became, because, I, you know, as I say, it was before any of those things happened for a car to be a, a part in a, in a show uh, and uh, then become so uh, uh, so popular.
2: Bill, I don't think Bill ever expected anything he had done on television to be a hit. I mean, that was all a surprise. St. Elsewhere, he thought was a great script. Great scripts, but it was canceled after the first year, and then it, who brought it back? Bill was
0: it Brandon Tartikoff? Brandon Tartikoff, Brandon
2: Tartikoff mm-hmm. brought it back, and then it went on, but it never got big numbers. And they didn't expect Boy Meets World to last more than a year or so. And Michael Jacobs said, "Oh, I think about seven. <laughs> and it did. And then Kit has become such an iconic thing. I mean,
0: that's a total surprise. You you've even done a video game with Kit, haven't you? Yeah, he did. Yes. That's another medium that you've been in video games. So that's even that's, uh, right. that's even greater. That's more than uh, just the uh, stage and, and screen and movies and television and all of that.
2: Well, and he started in vaudeville.
0: Yeah, so there there's another one. I really, it's, it's uh, and radio being in the arm. It's amazing. It is amazing.
2: It is amazing. You know? Did he tell you that about the the television, the early television? Billy, tell them about that, going into the studios.
1: Oh, okay. Over at NBC, third floor, uh, in the back was a studio. Uh, This was before television. Television was in its infancy. And so my sister and I were asked to go in and and sing a number while uh, they uh, looked at the picture in the sound sound control. And in those days, they needed a great deal of light, to transmit the image in television. And so we walked in, and here all these lights on the ceiling shooting down at us. It was so hot, you couldn't touch the microphone uh, metal. It, it would burn you. And so we sang our song and got out of there real fast, uh, uh, not knowing what was going on. Probably but, dangerous. Yeah, and so... So uh we left and that was the beginning of ch- television really and uh, they found ways uh, to transmit it without all that light and without all that heat but they were just experimenting
0: uh, I've seen pictures of very early television and the makeup that they had to use very early television it was very kind of bizarre
1: Yeah that's right to uh, you know Get some color in the face. Uh,
2: and they used. They liked redheads. They used redheads.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very. Very. Very interesting stuff. Now, um, saying elsewhere, I mean, the one new Emmys, you know, was such a great show, and I think it, along with Hill Street Blues that preceded it, I, I think the, these shows in some ways have changed television, and the idea of a longer story arc and a little more serious. And in those kind of things, I think that many of the shows we see today, like Breaking Bad and The uh, The Sopranos from year, a few years ago, and, and these shows owe a lot to things like Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere. Talk to us about that experience, because that was one of those things that was a critical success, as Bonnie said, maybe not as huge of a ratings hit, but uh, certainly a milestone in your career.
1: Yes, Well, I can tell you this, that the scripts that Tom Fontana and other writers wrote were far superior to a lot that was going on, so that the shows had a certain quality, uh, dramatic quality, as well as uh, comedic uh, overtones. So there were a lot of actors in town who really uh, wanted to be on the show and do a, a spot on the show and we would have uh, rather prominent actors come in and do a uh, a guest shot on the show uh, because they wanted to, to be in this show. Uh, granted, it was not, uh, what did you call it, Bonnie? It never...
2: Ratings. Uh, it was not a yeah, high not, not
1: great ratings, but it was uh, Brandon Tartikoff's uh, favorite. It was Mark, uh, Graham Tinker, who uh, ran the network. Their favorite, and uh, they kept it on, and uh, so we finally wound up. What was it, six or seven? Seasons? I think it
2: was six years,
1: six seasons. Yeah. So, uh, and it was uh, it was wonderful to be on it, and then having all these good actors come on to do guest shots.
2: And Bruce Paltrow was a great
1: producer. Yes, he was. That was Gwyneth's uh, dad, and uh, he
2: had a great great feel for the story, mm-hmm. and uh,
1: yeah. A
2: great feel for uh, good actors. Mm-hmm. If you look at the actors that were on that show, mm-hmm. tremendous
1: roster of good actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a great experience.
0: Yeah, and uh, just a tremendous legacy from that program and all yourself and all the other great uh, stars and personalities that uh, emanated from it and gone on to have great careers. And then you went on to, uh, and that's the thing, you you did not uh, you did not stop. You went on to... Uh, George Feeney Boys Me- uh Boy Meets World, and then the sequel, Girl Meets World. Why was it important for you to stay active? Why have you felt that that's, I mean, some people would just say, hey, I've won Emmys, I've done it all, I've been in movies with great stars, I- I've been on the stage, uh, I've done a ton of television and reached the apex there. Why did you decide to keep going where some may have just said, hey, I'm going to sit by the pool and, and take it easy?
1: Retire? <laughs>
0: <laughs> actors
1: don't retire the phone just stops ringing
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love that mentality because if you're doing something that you enjoy it's hard work but obviously you've you done this throughout your life for much more than a paycheck you've done this for more than a paycheck
1: yes Um and-
2: he wouldn't know what else to do. He <laughs> likes to read the New York Times.
0: <laughs> well, I, uh, one one last thing, and then I want to tell people how they can get the book. You've worked with a lot of stars over this uh, the years, many, many stars. Who are some of your favorite colleagues and, and favorite people you've worked with over the years, whether it's behind the scenes or, or on the stage or screen with you?
1: Of course, Mike Nichols uh, was not only a great director, but he was just fun uh, to work with because he had a great sense of humor and he had everybody laughing. And uh,
2: He and Buck Henry together.
1: Yeah, and he and Buck Henry, well, well I sat down and tried to uh, uh, be with him <laughs> along with them, but I, I soon left because they outdistanced me so drastically with their sense of humor. <laughs> so I got up and left. Uh, but, no, uh, Albert Finney on uh, Two for the Road, uh, was uh well i 'll give you a uh, it 's in the book I think, but i i um, was cast without like well I was cast here to go there uh, in Paris and uh do this too for the road and uh, and I said, you know it starred Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney, and I thought oh my God, this is great.' So I go over and naturally I have not met any of them. I didn't know the director or anybody. So the first day naturally, as it happens, sometimes you're going to do your big scene and you've just met them. And, uh, you haven't done any of the little scenes leading up to it. They want to do this particular scene where you, uh, have this, uh, confrontation. And, uh, so uh, I was a little nervous, I didn't know anybody, so I was up walking uh, under a tree, going over my lines, because this was my big scene, and I hadn't done any before that, but I'm gonna do that. And uh, Audrey and Albie were, were, uh, were sitting in the car, and I heard a voice say, Billy, and I turned around and it was Albert Finney, and he put his finger out and gestured it to come to the car. So I came, and I leaned in, and I said, yes. He said, Bill, uh, not to worry. She gets all the close-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that broke the ice. I laughed. They laughed. And uh, it was a great way for Albie to just relax me and accept me into the, uh, into the group, because they'd been filming for a month before I got there.
0: Well, the book is There I Go Again, How I Came to Be, Mr. Feeney, John Adams, Dr. Craig, Kit, and many others. William and and Bonnie, both of you, how have you felt about the book and the way the book has been received? He has a hard time.
2: Bill doesn't watch his performances very much. I love to watch my performances. (laughs) I hang on them and say, oh, look at her. Oh, yes. Anyway... We've been very surprised. It's been extremely when we went to New York and the Strand Bookshop there. The people were out in the cold waiting in line, and we've been thrilled that the book has done so well and is doing so
1: well. They, we, were, we, they we were out sure. there waiting for me to sign a book for them.
2: Yeah, we weren't sure. We really weren't sure because Bill's not really a star, you know?
0: Well, I wouldn't say that, but I understand what you're saying.
2: You know what I mean. We just didn't know and it's been great and the and the fans the fans are are predominantly boy meets world fans and kit fans. Those are the and then some, and John Adams too, but uh, those are the big fans. And you know nobody's ever it's too bad that uh, the Zoo story wasn't filmed with Bill and George Meharis. That would have been wonderful.
0: Well, William and Bonnie, thank you so much. You've been so gracious, and congratulations on such a great career, and, and I wish you the best with the book. It was fantastic speaking with you both.
2: By the way, if somebody wanted to get, go to uh, Book Soup in Hollywood and on the email and, and buy the book, Bill will go over and sign it.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, by all means, and that's called Book Soup, correct?
2: Book Soup, and it's in Hollywood, huh? And he he has a deal. He goes over and signs for them.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining me today on the program. It has been an honor and a pleasure.
1: Okay, Jim. Nice talking to you.
0: Wow, was that great to get to talk to that such a familiar voice, the voice of Kit. And also, of course, Bonnie, we enjoyed meeting her as well. And she's a very accomplished actress in her own right. And that's what we do here on The Great TV Podcast. We talk about the greatest shows of today and yesterday with the greatest stars and authors and experts. And I hope that you will subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, just uh, search for the name of the show, The Great TV Podcast. And when you do that, they'll give you the option to subscribe. It'll pull up. You click on it. It'll say subscribe. Subscribe. That helps us enormously. Plus, tell a friend if you know somebody who would love this show. Take their phone. Subscribe them. show them how to do it. We appreciate it. We thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time on The Great TV Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.